0: hey my name is matt one of the pastors here at Ridge community church and thank you so much for joining us for part two of our series called re we're delighted that you're here with us at any of our six physical locations in northwest georgia and the tennessee valley as we're one church multiple locations and multiple languages or maybe you're watching at home on your mobile device or however you're with us thank you so much for being with us Hey, before we jump in to the series, I just want to talk a little bit about what some of you have asked me about. Hey, we, we noticed there's different sets, and sometimes, Matt, you're not live, and sometimes you're live. And I just want to share with you kind of where we're at with, with all this and the why behind the what, as I like to say, uh, the why, the reason, the vision behind what we're doing. So we, we had to get online in about three days when everything shut down at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020. And, and we really saw a lot of people that were not just rock bridgers who attended physically and had to quit attending physically and start attending uh, digitally. We saw new people start participating and engaging in our, in our online ministry and our online platform, and that's just continuing to bear fruit, and it's almost like a seventh campus. I hesitate to call it that. So what we continue to see is even as more people have come back to in-person worship services and at one of our six physical locations, we haven't seen a corresponding drop in our online engagement or our digital participation. So we're just experimenting for maybe just how best... We can adorn, and the gospel, as we're told in the, in the book of Titus, how best we can share God's Word and God's message using the incredible technology that He's made available through uh, just the wisdom that He's allowed us to, to walk into as His creatures. And uh, so that's just what's going on. We're experimenting. We're trying to do this better. We're trying to live out our core value. We strive for excellence. And also, how can we connect as many people from all walks of life as possible to the best life there is? That's life in Christ. All right, so that's kind of the why behind the what. Now, let me just ask you a question that, I, that I'm sure all of us have experimented with. I don't know which suitcase you identify with. If you're watching online, you can type it in to the comment section, and you can nudge your wife if you're sitting next to her. You know, you've got, right over here, you've kind of got the 11th hour packer, that person that just tries to, hey, I don't need to pack. I'll pack, you know, five minutes before we're supposed to get in the car to go to the airport or go to the beach. Uh, up here at the top, you've got the overpacker who doesn't want to leave, forget anything. And what if the weather's? changes and, you know, whatever, you know. And then down here, you've got kind of the minimalist and the organized packer, and I don't know which one you identify with. I mean, I try to be the minimalist, but I end up becoming the overpacker. My wife, she is the 11th hour and the overpacker, which makes for interesting marriage dynamics. But anyway, you can just share that with us in the comments or, you know, write it down in your notes or whisper it to the person that you're sitting next to. But packing forces you to make some decisions, because your suitcase is usually only so big, or the airline only allows so much, and so you have to have to choose, and then you got to, you know, consider weather, consider what you might do when you get where you're going. But no matter which kind of packer you are, we know this is true, right? We know that to get to where we want to go, we can't take it all. To get to where we want to go, we can't take it all. So we've talked about moving into a new series, a new season, and that's the re, right? A new, again, something afresh, something moving. Not, not a new season because we're back in school, not a new season because it's, you know, the end of summer, the beginning of fall, the start of the football season, but a new season with God, a new season from God. And what we're going to discover today in part two of re is to get to this new season, that I really believe God wants to take us as a people, us you as an individual, our church to get to this new season, we're going to discover we can't take it all. So let's look at that dynamic at work in one of the great stories that Jesus uh, of Jesus's life and his interaction with people. And this comes from Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter ten. It's frequently called the interaction with the rich young rulers found in multiple gospel accounts. So it says this, as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and he knelt down before him. And and this, this kneeling down indicates that he viewed Jesus as someone worthy of his honor or his respect or his admiration. And he asked him, he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? A couple of things He calls Jesus good teacher. Most Jews would not call their rabbi good rabbi, but just teacher or just rabbi. So good teacher, again, comes back to knelt down. So he knows he's talking to someone very, very spiritually significant in his time period. And so he asked probably the most significant spiritual question that you've asked, I've asked, a lot of us have asked, hey, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And and, and we've built a whole culture in certain parts of the Bible Belt, and certain parts of the church life throughout this heaven or hell dynamic and because nobody wants to go to the one place and everybody wants to go to the, the good place if there is a good place. And so this question is it's a 2,000-year-old question and there's people, people still asking it, wondering about it today. So it, just let's lean in and see how Jesus replies. So Jesus says, first of all, he goes, why do you call me good? And that's kind of a rhetorical question. It's not that Jesus, and then he says, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. So here's the best way to understand this. He asks the question, he says, no one is good but God alone, and then he answers the question. So Jesus is saying, you're calling me good, I'm God, so I'll answer your question. But he draws attention through his question that Jesus, he alone, has the authority to answer this question. So let me make this very, very clear, okay? When we talk about eternal life, when we talk about you know, the, the big spiritual question, and, and if we're all on a journey, you, know, you can't take everything where you, to get to where you want to go, the packing illustration, to, to, the authority to answer this question comes from God, and only God can competently answer this question. Not somebody on TV, not me. Only God can answer that question, and now Jesus is gonna answer it. Now, he's gonna answer it in a roundabout way, which is sort of the Jesus way when he's interacting with people. So he says, you know the commandments. And he starts with the last half of the 10 commandments, the, the ones that deal with human interaction and our relationships with other people. He says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. And he says, honor your father and honor, Your mother. So those are the so we might just stop right there and say, okay, that's the typical, hey, I'm a pretty good person. So we might make an assumption, right? To be to get to eternal life, to get to where I want to go in the end of my life or my earthly life, then I need to be a good person. And and there's like this whole kind of theology that's at work. This is the most dominant theology in the United States of America right now. It's called moral moralistic therapeutic deism hey, I need to be a good person. There is a God, and, and mostly, you know, gods are kind of gods, right? And God's here to help me. So if I'm a good person, therapy is help, God will help me. And that's really what most people live, is, is that God is Dr. Phil, I'm a good person, and so God will help me. That's how most people live. And, this, and so Jesus gives an answer that sort of seems like, hey, just be a good person. That's it. And so the guy goes, hey, Jesus, And we've already established Jesus is authoritative to answer this question. He says, teacher, I've kept all these from my youth. Now, some of you might say, okay, is that where the story ends? And we might even, in our thinking, believe that's where the story ends, that good people go to a good place because, after all, that's what a good God ought to do. So we have a good teacher who's talking about a good place and a good person says, hey, I just want to make sure I can go there you know, and have eternal life. And so we would expect it to end at verse 20, but Jesus doesn't stop there, nor should we. Because Jesus is inviting us on a way different kind of journey than just a journey of where we go when we die. So here's what he says. Looking at him... Jesus loved him. Maybe the most significant phrase in the whole story is the, uh, this de- deep love that Jesus feels for this seeker, this person who, who we know is wealthy this person who's young and has already achieved or earned or inherited, we're not sure, a lot of wealth, what the world would call that is a successful person, that is a good person, thats that should be a happy person, he's asking Jesus the question because there's something unsure in his soul, unsettled in his soul. Maybe he's not even satisfied in his soul, and Jesus can sense this and feel this, and so this compassion, this love goes out to him. And now, now, what's interesting to me is this love to me takes us from the last half of the Ten Commandments, the how you treat other people, to the first half of the Ten Commandments, which is about our relationship with God. And there's an interesting description of God and his view toward his people in that first section of the Ten Commandments back in Exodus 25. It's called God calls himself a jealous God. Now If you're called jealous or I'm called jealous, we don't think that is like a compliment. But the jealousy that God is speaking of there and that Jesus is feeling here is the jealousy of, I just want what's mine. I want a relationship with my people. I I might say, I'm jealous for my wife's affection or my wife's respect, or I'm jealous for my boys, and I want to spend as much time with my two teenage boys as I can because I'm their father and they're my boys. So that's the jealousy he's talking about. It's jealous in a relational sense for what's ours or for what, in this case, for what is God's. And so with that view in mind, Jesus is now gonna go away from a list of rules that we keep that make us think we're maybe a good person to the kind of relationship that he wants to have with us. So watch the switch. Here's what he says. Looking at him, Jesus loved him, so important, can't leave that out, and said to him, you lack one thing, just one thing. He says, go and sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. So you'll trade what you have on earth for what you will have in heaven. And then he says, come follow me. And and what's crazy is he doesn't say, then you'll have eternal life. He doesn't say, then you'll go to heaven when you die. He says, then come and follow me. That's relational language. Be my son, my child, be my disciple, be my student, be one who learns how to live as I live and have the treasure that I have to offer. But one thing, just one thing stands between this kind of relationship with you and me you have a lot of riches, and that's in the way of the rich relationship that I want to have with you. So I think there's about four surprising truths that Jesus brings up and implies and infers and and highlights in this dialogue. The first is he brings up something that there is nothing wrong with. Hear me clearly. Nothing wrong with being rich. Nothing wrong with having possessions, unless those possessions have you and get in the way of our, the kind of relationship that this awesome, loving, jealous God wants to have with his people. So he brings up something that there's nothing wrong with. So when we start looking at our lives, we will come short of what God wants for us, what God has for us, and who God is to us if we just ask the age-old question, Is there anything wrong with it? Because in this story, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with riches. Something wrong results from it, but there's nothing wrong with it. Second thing that's surprising is Jesus changes the focus. He changes the focus from where we go when we die to who we're we're with as we live. And so he says, look, the focus, we always put the focus on heaven or hell. He puts the focus on you. Are you with me or not? Because I'm jealous to be with you. Now, just think about that. I don't know where you are. I mean, we're church from people from all walks of life, but sometimes I just have to, I mean, sometimes when I just get overwhelmed, I'm like, God wants to be with Matt Evans. He knows every nasty, stupid, evil, sinful, selfish thing I've done, and God wants to be with me and he's made great provision through the death of his son so he could be with me, and he wants to be with you too, and he wants to be with the rich young ruler because that's who he is, and he can't change who he is. He's jealous. He looks at us with jealous love, and he wants to be with us. So he's like, let's not make this about where you go when you die. Let's make this about who you're with as you live. Third, uh, and we see this, this whole heart of God, it comes up, Throughout Scripture, in Zechariah 2.10, it says this: the Lord says, Shout and rejoice, O beautiful Jerusalem, for I am coming to live among you. This word live, sometimes it's translated dwell, sometimes it's translated be at home with, sometimes it's translated kind of in reference to the Old Testament, the building of the tabernacle. Sometimes it says, I I want a tabernacle with you. Again, God wants to be at home with a group of people. God wants to be at home with us. So the third surprising thing Jesus says is this. He says he's superior to this man's money. Clearly implied that being with Jesus, following Jesus, having the treasure that Jesus provides and Jesus keeps in heaven for his followers is better than the man's money. And we gotta stop, right? Right? Because in this life, we put so much value on certain things that really will have no value in eternity and that we can't take with us. And Jesus sort of subverts the value system of the world that we live in and subverts the value system of the culture. You know, we would look at this guy today and say, man, he's young, he's rich, he's successful. He's a picture of someone that God has blessed. And Jesus doesn't go down the road of, of, of that. doesn't go down that road. He says, actually, I want you to get rid of all that stuff because it's standing in the way of being with me. And oh, by the way, if you have me, it's better than you being rich and having a bunch of money. And I, I, I just start thinking about things in my life that I have just by the fact I was born in America and raised by two parents that wanted to give you know, me the best and, and how I'm raising my boys. I mean, I have all of this stuff, but does this stuff have me? And I think we just got to wrestle with that because Jesus is not going down the path of traditional, what it means to be happy and successful. Surprising. And then the fourth thing that's very, very significant is we'll see this in the, as we navigate through that God is a filler, not a forcer. Now, now here's what I mean. God wants to be at home with us and for his presence to dominate us more than our possessions or our positions or what other people think about us. But God's not gonna force himself on this young person. God's not gonna force himself on me. He's not gonna force himself on you. I mean, sometimes we're like, man, God's always quiet. I never hear from God. I wish God would be more obvious. And this story, though, as we're gonna see, and if God's a filler, not a forcer, God's not gonna force himself upon you. And if there's no room in the home of your life or the home of your heart or the scope of your affections and the depth and width of your ambitions, if there's no room for God, God's not going to force. Because remember, if he he wants a relationship, but he wants it to be, and he's jealous for it, and he died for it. But if it's a loving relationship, he's not going to force himself because then it wouldn't be love, be automation. Now, he could. He's God, right? I mean, he could snap his fingers, and all of us would stand at attention and salute, say, yes, sir, where are we going? He could do that. Wouldn't take any effort at all, but he's jealous for a type of relationship, a loving relationship. He wants to fill us. He wants to be at home. Zechariah 2.10, but he won't force. He certainly won't force, and so just like we looked at when we pack for trips, if we're gonna go on a journey of following Jesus, if we're gonna go into a new season and new levels of followership, discipleship, intimacy of a new level in our love relationship with Jesus, we can't take everything with us. Just like this good kid, right? This good, rich young man. Jesus said, hey, look, to go to the next level with me to follow me forever, something that there's nothing in and of itself wrong with, but it's standing in the way of you and I moving forward together. And I got to point it out. So our reword is remove. That you're here listening, watching, engaged with us, and maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And maybe this concept of God being jealous for you, dying for you, dying instead of you, maybe this concept of of, of God wanting a relationship with you, although he knows everything you've ever done, and he knows you're not good enough. You can't be good enough. I mean, the the, the story kind of blows that argument out of the water, right? Because the rich young ruler thought he was good enough, right? But he still wants to be with you. And so you're like, I want that relationship, and your eyes are opening a little bit. Well, there will be something or some things, you'll have to remove and lay down and say, okay, God, if it means giving up this, which has maybe defined you or enslaved you, then you give it up in order to be with Jesus and follow him forever. In fact, though, let let me talk to people who, you know that you know you're a Christ follower. For better or for worse, you've been following Jesus for six months, six years, 60 years. You never you can never be satisfied with the quality and intimacy of a love relationship. You know, it's like you can't do that with your wife. You can't say, "Hey, we're married, you know, it's all good now until we death does us part." Now you got to keep investing and keep growing and fighting for that intimacy and fighting for the depth of your of the love relationship in your marriage. It's the same with God. So to go into a new season, a re, right, of your relationship with God and your understanding of God, a freshness There's going to be something that you and I have to remove as well. So our word here in part two is re. So here's what we want to say. To make room for the new, God has to challenge the old and the always. To Make room for the new. God's got to point out, put his finger on, and challenge and say, Look, I'm not going to force, but I want to fill you with my love and my presence and my hope and my peace and my joy. I won't force. So the old ways and the ways you've always done it, the ways you've always thought about it, they may have to go. They may have to be removed. So look at the answer that this young guy gave. But he he was dismayed by this demand. What Jesus said, what Jesus taught, just caused him consternation and trouble. And he went away grieving because he had many possessions and he wouldn't remove them to be with Jesus. And what's, what's sad about this is he left in worse shape than when he came to Jesus. He came seeking. He came with a great question question you've asked and I've asked, he came hungry, he came recognizing there was something in his soul that wasn't right. You know, that, that's just a great question, right? How's your soul? I mean, a lot of us, how you doing, and how's, how's your finances? And we've all got an answer, and, and we've, how's your health? We've all got an answer, but he's not asking those questions. I mean, it's just it's like, man, my soul is empty, or my soul is still longing for something. I, I mean, I'm the picture of success, but my soul's empty. And Jesus gave him the one answer that had the ability to satisfy his soul forever. Follow me. Have a relationship with me. I'm jealous for it. I want it. I've done everything you need to have a relationship with me, a growing dynamic relationship with me. I've done it all. But you just got to remove those things that have you and that stand in the way of you having me. And he can't do it. So he's grieving now, why is that? I mean, to, to, you, know, you kind of read the story and sitting maybe in the comfort of, of our American lifestyle, it, it's, it's like we, we sort of see it clearly and, and feel it. So, so why is it so hard sometimes to let go of the old and the always? Well, a couple of things. Old and always feels familiar and normal, but then we have to say, but is it limiting our potential to be with God? See, here's what I know, okay? Here's what I know, okay? when we go through times of uncertainty, we want to revert back to times of familiarity. Even if the familiarity is not great or not good or limits our potential to be with God. And so I think as, we, as we're dealing with where we are coming at culturally and where we are in our own walk, I mean, we're, some of us are just nostalgic for... Normal. We're nostalgic for a tradition that's not disrupted by the season we're in. We're just hungry for that stuff. But don't miss the fact, though, that old and always, even though it feels familiar, and right now familiar feels good, it could be limiting our potential to be with God. Just like the guy's riches, familiar, and he didn't want to let go of them, limiting his potential to be with God. Old and always are not always wrong. But we have to ask, are they in the way? So, so we can't just say, is there anything wrong with it? If it is in the way of being with God. Have, have you ever had that conversation with your spouse, your wife, you know, where you're doing something that she doesn't like or you're doing something that she thinks is keeping y'all's marriage or relationship for being closer and tighter? And, and you know, guys, we're kind of dumb and we're ignorant, and they have to enlighten us sometimes, and that's certainly true in my case. And you said to your wife, but I'm not doing anything wrong. And she's like, that's not the point. What you're doing, all that college football, all that NFL, whatever, it's in the way of us. Old and always. Not always wrong, but they could be in the way. And and, and with that, I just want to share some dangers that, that I think... We could be in danger of that could cause us to miss where God's going, and God is inviting us to go with Him. The first danger is this: to say this is not wrong and not bad, therefore it's okay and I'm okay. That would be narrow and short-sighted. So we just can't stop with "Hey, I'm nothing wrong. I'm a good person." Cannot stop there. That's not what God has for us. We'll miss the re. We'll miss the re. Second danger manageable versus unmanageable demands of Jesus. I think a lot of us are, are rich young rulers, that there's manageable demands or sayings or commands of Jesus, meaning they don't really interfere with our comfort or our convenience. They don't require much sacrifice. I mean, some of us, we've never struggled with alcohol. We've never struggled with bad language. Some of us, you know, we, we've never struggled with, with, with sexuality issues or anything like that. And so, so when we, we're like, man, I'm good. But there's probably all of us have what we would just go, man, that just feels harsh or that feels like too much or, man, if I go in that, it's radical, right? So for the rich young ruler, the last six commands of the Ten Commandments were manageable. He's like, hey, teacher, I've kept those since I was a young guy. And then Jesus goes into the relationship with him and what's keeping that relationship going forward, meaning, hey, you got to get rid of your riches, no, no, I can't do There's a red line and he won't cross it. And then because he won't cross the red line, he can't be with Jesus. So there's probably most of us, we're like, hey, I'm a good person as long as you're looking at these four or five things but as soon as Jesus hits your red line, it's like we draw a line and say, no, no, that's radical. Or no, God wouldn't want me to do that. My situation is different. I'm different. No, God wants to be with you. God's jealous for you. And there can be no red lines and no areas off limits because anything but God has the capacity and potential to keep us from going to the next level with God. A lot of us in, in, in America, especially, can fall victim to what I would just call a low view of Jesus. Maybe, maybe a wrong view, anemic view, or small view of Jesus. Where we're, you know, we just kind of put Jesus in a little box and, we, and we've got this view of him that doesn't really disrupt us that much, doesn't really challenge us that much. It comforts us in funeral homes and hospitals, but it doesn't really affect us on Monday at work or how we post things on social media or how we spend our money or who we hang out with. It doesn't really affect us in those areas. And we're missing this view of Jesus as this treasure, as the superior treasure, as Jesus is better than your blank. In the Rich Young Eulers case, better than his money. As I've said many times at Rockbridge and I, is Jesus plus nothing still equals everything. And it would be a danger if we settle for a view of Jesus that doesn't arouse our affections and ambitions to be with him more than we presently are. It would be a tragedy if we have a small view of Jesus Because what moves us forward in our faith are those moments, those movements in our soul where we see, man, Jesus is better than life. Jesus is better than money. Jesus is better than anything. That's when we move forward to a next level, a new level, a new relationship to a re, right? So it's not it's, you, can't read, you can't hear this message, man, I've got to go home and do a bunch of things. First thing you've got to do is get the right view of Jesus. Because if this rich young ruler saw Jesus for who Jesus really is, glorious, gracious, merciful, eternal, jealous for him, he'd have dropped everything and followed. You know how you know you're really a Christian? Is when your heart says, i got to be with him no matter what. And as you grow, that no matter what grows too. You know, when I was eight years old and became a Christian, I gave everything to Jesus as best I knew how, not perfectly. I've made so many mistakes. But the, my heart was, no matter what, i got to be with Jesus. Now I lost some friendships along the way and all this kind of stuff. But as I've grown or God moves me forward, it's always a new view, an elevated, expanded, more glorious view of Jesus. And then my no matter what's grow as well. last danger. Like the young man, we can be around God, but not be with Jesus. This guy was around God, but he wasn't with God. You you know, I I, I can be with my boys, and I can be with Beth, but I am not with them all the time. I mean, my wife sometimes says to me, Matt, listen to me, and I'm like, we're three feet apart, but I'm just around her. I'm not with her. The rich young ruler, man, he was around Jesus. He's around the good teacher. He's around God. But he wasn't with God. I think there's a lot of people. They're around God. They can give answers about God. But in here, they're not with God. But oh, he wants to be. And oh, he's made a way to be. But sometimes we just got to remove what stands in the way. So where do we go? A couple of things. I want to invite all of us, including myself, let's redefine the relationship that God wants to have with us. Redefine it. For me, the relationship that he wants to have with me is so much bigger than my little eight-year-old mind could comprehend. So much better, so much more rewarding So let's redefine the relationship. God doesn't just want to be your comforter. God doesn't just want to be your insurance. God doesn't just want to be someone you are around. He radically, exclusively, jealously wants to be with you. Identify and remove the usurper. The usurper is something that takes someone else's rightful place the rich young ruler. It was his riches. Nothing wrong with them, but they stood in the place of God. So you identify and remove what stands in the way. Don't stop with, is there anything wrong with it? Go on to, is this in the way of me and God and the kind of relationship he wants to have with me? And then reposition for the first time or for another time. God's center, central on the throne of our heart, on the throne of our lives. I hope every single person here that's watching us engaged, I hope you hear an amazing invitation to be with God for the first time, that you would go forward and put your faith and trust in Him and give Him the steering wheel of your life, get baptized, and say, I want to follow that Jesus that loves me jealously. Or you hear the invitation to be with God on a whole nother level, and that you and I together would give God our yes. and Whatever it is we need to remove, we let it go. We release it. To be with Jesus in a new, fresh, refreshing way. I want to pray this prayer over as Rockbridge. You can read with me or bow your heads and listen as I pray this over us. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. God, we need supernatural help to see you in your fullness and your amazing grace. We need in your glory and your majesty. God, don't let anybody right now think that they can do something and earn a relationship with you or earn heaven from you. It has to be given to us and that your revelation of yourself would just reign in our hearts by your spirit right now. And spirit, as you do that in your people, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Jesus, become more at home in my heart, in this church's heart, in people listening's heart. Be at home, let us reposition you on the throne. And then your roots will grow down deep into God's love, that defining, driving, motivating, captivating, jealous love of God and keep you strong. That it's God's love for us, proven, displayed, demonstrated forever on the cross, God's love for us that keeps us strong. And that you would may, we would have the power to understand it as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. And may you you experience the love of Christ not just be able to talk about it theoretically, but experience it personally, though it is too great to understand fully. And this is our journey, church, to grow in our knowledge and experience of the love of God. And when something stands in the way of going to the next level of receiving and experiencing the love of God, we remove it. Then you will be made complete, complete hope, complete joy, complete maturity with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Be blessed, Rockbridge. God jealously loves you, and his love is best, and his love is forever.